Hey, this is Kim Davis, and welcome to another one-on-one podcast. My guest today is Keith Simpson, who's VP of Product and Marketing at PostUp. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Now, I know you're in town. It's a very rainy, miserable New York day. You're up from Austin, Texas. Was it more pleasant down there, or are you having weather problems there, too? Blue skies, 75 degrees. Almost thinking about firing up the, uh, the pool. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that, that hurts. Um, okay, we're here to talk about um, a bunch of, uh, of topics. Um, some regular readers might know Keith from um, a piece he recently wrote for us in our Contrarian Week, uh, Marketers Have to Stop Chasing Personalization, which was quite challenging. But our main topic I wanted to start off with today is, is programmatic and some of the um, hurdles that, uh, that are being seen in that space. But first of all, maybe you could tell us more about PostUp, where it came from, what challenges it sets out to solve? Sure. PostUp is an email services provider specializing in email technology, and in particular for the publishing and media industries. Um, we've been around for 15 years um, uh, through various names and brands, different corporate owners. PostUp is, uh, is a brand about three years old. Um, so again, we publish. Uh, we spe- uh, specialize in, in publishing and media companies, um, and really try to differentiate by understanding the publishing and media businesses and right. building tools uh, and providing services and strategic advice for those industries, in particular. What will be some of the main solutions you offer? Well, we have an email platform. It's really an enterprise email platform, so it'd be kind of analogous to Salesforce, Exact Target, right. or Silverpop. Sail through or is kind of two competitors that we see quite often. Yeah. Um, but it's really, um, if you think of email as uh, kind of a, a spectrum of complexity, you know, MailChimp on the one end for you know your restaurant owners and small business owners, um, and then the big guys like IBM on the other. We, we're kind of towards the the, the enterprise end, uh, but again, specializing in publishing and media. Okay. Now we could talk all day about the uh, challenges faced by publishers these days. It's something I'm well aware of, of course, on this side of the table. But the thing which um, I particularly want to ask you about is programmatic. The, mm-hmm. It's a great programmatic dream. It's been around not that long, but a few years now, I guess, that the idea of trading ad inventory at huge scale and at huge speed, and that was going to make it... It's going to be a good thing for the, for the advertisers, for the publishers, but we're starting to see it get a bit creaky in some ways, aren't we? Um, I wouldn't even say... I, I think it's as... Arguably, from an infrastructure and operational standpoint, it's bigger and stronger than it's ever been. Okay. The problem, uh, I mean, it may help to kind of go back a little bit and think sure. about the genesis of it. Uh, programmatic is really, I mean, more than anything, it's a product for advertisers. Um, and think about what advertisers want, right? They want to target uh, or, or, or reach as large an audience as they can with a single interface, but having to necessarily deal with dozens of different publishers, right. um, and to be able to target different demographics uh, on those audiences. So programmatic really neatly solves that problem really, really well for advertisers. So, so it really took off when, when these platforms started to emerge. Um, and publishers realized that uh, and jump on it. And the great thing for publishers is that it's very turnkey. You, you literally, in most cases, put a little piece of JavaScript on your website, mm-hmm. and, and the money starts flowing, right? So in theory, you don't even need a sales team, right? You, don't, you, it just, you just turn it on, and, and, and the money starts coming. Um, so in a way, it's been kind of almost a victim of its own success for publishers because it dramatically reduces the barrier to entry for new publishers. So right. you know, this, 
crop of digital publishers that have just come up from nowhere over the past five to ten years are all, you know, have a primary business model of, of programmatic revenue. They don't have sales teams. Yes. Um, so as publishers rush in, it results in an oversupply of ad inventory without really much more advertising demand on the other side of the economic equation. So that means depressed CPMs, and everyone is making less money per ad impression. So uh, as publishers have, have, have either been created and are solely dependent on, on uh, programmatic advertising, or more traditional publishers um, have kind of latched onto it and now become addicted to that revenue, right. as it starts to gradually decline for everyone, um, it starts to cause significant issues in the economics of the, of the model. This is something which has had uh, you know, a much wider social and cultural impact than we'll be able to get into today, but it's related surely to this um, very large numbers of new publishers becoming very quickly almost mainstream. I mean, publishing has exploded. You, mm-hmm. you don't have like a few major sources anymore. Is that programmatic is part of what's powering that? I think it's, it's enabling those publishers to come into existence, but the, the other enabling factor is social media, specifically, yes. uh, specifically Facebook. Um, so it, I, I would challenge these new publishers to really say with a straight face that they truly have a brand in the same way that, say, for example, New York Times has. Um, I think a lot of them are successful in driving a large amount of uh, eyeballs and traffic, yes. but it doesn't necessarily mean that they are a destination. They're, they're, they're probably not. I mean, Buzz, I, I always use BuzzFeed as, as, mm-hmm. as sort of the best example of a pure digital publisher that kind of grew up on programmatic. Yes. Okay. Um, I think people could probably name BuzzFeed having seen it, but I I would sort of hazard a guess that half the time someone's reading a BuzzFeed article, they don't even know they're on BuzzFeed. Uh, abs- yes, and partly because of the sharing element. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you, you're basically you're, as a user, you're engaging with Facebook. Uh, and then technically you're dropping out of Facebook to go consume some piece of content, but as soon as you're done with that, you go back to the feed because that's what you're engaging with. Yeah. You're almost not aware of it. I mean, this is an experience most of us must have had now. Reading an article, thinking that's interesting, then realizing I actually don't know where this is from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, you know, and that has some pitfalls. But the, the thing which I've heard from a number of sources is that, as you say, programmatic has been successful in its own terms, but it's it's really driven down the value to publishers of the ads. I mean, the, the advertisers are just not having to pay as much. Is that right? Um, that's true. I, I, think it's, I think it's in large part oversupply. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there is a fundamental difference between... I, I think tr- traditional publishers that you know, have lived off of print advertising for mm-hmm. so long I mean, are, are perhaps used to, to higher revenues associated with it. But uh, in, in the beginning... Uh, programmatic, it was very lucrative for publishers, especially digital publishers, pure play digital publishers that didn't have to fund newsrooms and you know f- physical infrastructure in the same way that traditional publishers do. I mean, BuzzFeed again is the, is the case in point of yeah. you know capturing such a huge share of of the world's attention uh, with 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 none of the costs associated with journalism, right, or right. actual content right. production. Um, so I, I like to say that. That BuzzFeed took ten billion dollars of publishing industry revenue and turned it into one billion dollars of revenue for BuzzFeed. So, uh, yeah, I, think uh, I mean, to be, be fair to BuzzFeed, they have invested back a little bit. They have recently. They have. Yes, yeah. yeah, I think they're they're now starting to play the long game. Yeah, but it's, it's interesting to think of the BuzzFeed type model because 
the other place this is having an impact surely is on content because if what you're relying on are these tapping into this automatic stream of ads there's, there's also an incentive isn't there just to put up content just for the sake of having somewhere for the ads to go and some people are saying this is degrading content I think it definitely is I mean it's it's changing uh, the nature of content I mean the the so-called separation, the wall between the business side and, and, and the editorial side, uh, I think it can only go so far when, when your, your fundamental business KPI is, is traffic and page views in particular, uh, because CPMs on page views is what generates, uh, generates revenue. So you know, hence the rise of the listicle, right? <laughs> exactly. You know, why, why put everything on one page when you can put it on 10 and yeah. at least in theory make 10 times as much money? Yeah, yeah. So, so it has eroded the, uh, especially you know, traditional long-form, well-thought-out content, um, it just it, it, it doesn't make as much money as the, as the more clickbaity, listicle-type approach. It doesn't, from a business point of view, it doesn't make as much sense if you're relying on a programmatic-type ad stream, does it? Well, I, I think, I mean, there is there is a, a future role for, uh, BuzzFeed is not in trouble, and I think there is, there is a, my personal sense is that there's going to be two sides to this market. Uh, you know, come, come back five, ten years from now, is, is there's going to be the BuzzFeeds of the world, the pure play, what I would call uh, subjectively low-quality yeah. uh, content uh, versus high-quality, which is essentially funded by subscriptions. I mean, I think that has to be the model. I think any, any publisher that's counting on uh, programmatic revenue to, uh, to, to fund their overall business operations is going to be in deep trouble. Uh, they need to revert back to the subscription model um, in order to capture revenue from people that actually are there for the quality of the content. Because an ad impression to someone that cares about the content is worth just as much as, as to someone who doesn't care about the content. So, you know, the, the focusing focusing in on on the audience that actually wants the content uh, is, is 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 the only real viable business model, I think, for for traditional publishers if they want to continue to fund their journalistic efforts. Right. It's interesting that the alternatives you present there, there's two alternatives. You don't present the alternative of going back to a more traditional advertising model where advertisers carefully select which venue they're going to place a campaign in and, in other words, take the robots out of it and go back to that way of doing things? Um, advertisers don't want it. Um, I mean, they, that, that's one of the more market-driven aspects of programmatic is adver- you know, the, the money, the demand is coming from the advertiser. They, right. they, will, they will spend their money where they think it's most efficient and most effective. Yeah. Um, so if you're telling... Uh, a big advertiser, or I guess more commonly an agency, that uh, you know they have to now have relationships with forty different publishers, and it's all negotiated and bought in bulk, you know, weeks in advance. Yeah. I, I don't think they want to go back to that. Uh, it's um, requires a lot of time and effort and hours, doesn't it? I mean, there will always be yeah. uh, you know specialized publications that have direct relationships with yes. with their advertisers, but um, you know, I, I think. Particular in you know, mainstream news, right? Uh, is you know they're they're mostly brand buys anyway. So uh, that's that's where the agencies the agencies want to spend the dollars on on the programmatic networks. It's much more efficient and yes. it's more effective, measurable. Yes. And the we should just mention personalization in this context because one of the promises programmatic has also held out is being able to personalize and target these ads in an automatic fashion at high speed and scale 
And I can say just personally, I go to a website now, and I get ads which are clearly targeted right at me. It's very effective. So that's another good thing from the advertiser's point of view. Um, well, they'll be they'll be either targeted at you in a very sort of small segment, so mm-hmm. people very similar to you, or it'll be technically what's called retargeting, which yes. which is behavioral targeting. So you have visited some website in the past and are tracked through the network, uh, and then are seeing an ad because of your past behavior. Yeah, and uh, the other aspect we should touch on is uh, talking about the oversupply of ads. There's a resistance in the audience because there's the whole ad blocking thing mm-hmm. as well. That's that's clearly got to be another problem for, for, for publishers. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the, the history of the problem, I mean, again, programmatic started out really well for everyone. Right. Um, and then oversupply made it less of a good deal for publishers and much much more of a, a better deal for advertisers. Let's not forget that yeah. you know, publisher revenues are advertiser costs, right? Yes. So they like the fact that CPMs have gone down. So when the CPMs go down, uh, publishers, uh, many of them responded with, Put more ads on, yeah. um, which which directly contributed to the rise of ad blockers. Because beyond a certain point, consumers start to rebel against so many ads, uh, and will find ways around them because they, they want the content. They're there, but but they're oversaturated with ads. So so the ad blocking is a sense directly eroding what is already decreasing revenue. Um, and there's lots of different estimates out there. I'll, I'll use twenty percent as kind of like a middle number. Yeah. Um, and uh, that, that's just a direct hit to, to revenue because if the ads aren't displaying, um, then you don't get paid as a publisher, and uh, uh, but you're still serving up the content. So it's, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's, it's not all good news for publishers, is it? Well, I, I, to an extent, the publishing industry has to blame itself for mm-hmm. for uh, you know there's kind of a tragedy of the commons going on here where yeah. you know something lucrative, so many businesses have, have leapt on it, or so many publishing businesses have leapt on it. It's just become less valuable for everyone, and because of the way publisher cost structures work, um, it can be an existential threat. Right. Now, would you? Uh, obviously, uh, with Post Up, you have, you know, you have some skin in the game, I suppose. Would you be pointing to alternative ways for brands to effectively reach consumers? Um, well, I don't think the problem is reach necessarily. I mean, the, the reach is hard because because there's so much competition now, and uh, and it's certainly complicated by Facebook being in the picture. Yeah. Because um, you know, with with so many people treating Facebook as the front page of the internet, uh, Facebook gets to decide where what they see and where they go. Yes. Um, so, uh, but in terms of uh, revenue and solving the economic problems, I mean. It, it, they need to diversify. Publishers need to diversify away from uh, pure programmatic. I mean, I, I think programmatic will always be around as a form of supplemental revenue. Right. Um, it will always be there, um, but publishers shouldn't become too over-reliant on it. And I think the key long-term for publishers, especially those that are producing or trying to produce high-quality content, the key is a direct relationship with the audience. Yes. Because as soon as you, you let Facebook take that over then you're, you're no longer in control and you're basically, you're sort of relegated to a content production house for a third-party platform. Um, so I, I think the key is that direct relationship and I, I do believe that email is one way to, to, to establish that relationship. Email isn't in and of itself an economic answer, but it is mm-hmm. the enabler for lots of different business models. Uh, I mean, there's obviously advertising within the email itself. Yes. Um, 
and, and the beauty of email is that you can you can push that content to the to, to the user. I mean, I kind of I use the analogy of you know uh, old school newspaper subscriptions where you know someone would drop it on your doormat every morning. I mean, email is like that, right? Yeah. You, whether whether they ask for it, I mean, they have to ask for it in the beginning, but whether whether they every day you know want it or not, they're going to get it, right? And that 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 is valuable to an advertiser. So the ability to kind of push push your content along with the ads that, that you're generating revenue from through email is quite powerful. Um, and uh, it also allows, um, if you think about how so many digital publishers today make their money, it's from programmatic, from traffic, mm -hmm. and uh, we have clients that post up that generate 95% of their traffic from Facebook, so they're almost well, entirely reliant yeah. on that. Yeah. Um, and these are these are what we call one and done users, right? They they come in, they see some, they see a, something that's interest, interesting to them, like a recipe or something like that. Yes. They check it out and then they go back to Facebook. You may never see them again, right? Yes. So uh, so rather than being this kind of you know continuously having to stoke the fire of content to uh, to to hope that you know Facebook is going to bless you with some traffic. Um, is, is, is kind of a losing proposition, I think, long-term. You need to, if you can establish a direct relationship with that user, and a great way to do it is to get their email address. Yes. Um, so even the drive-bys, um, you know, they're checking out a, a, a cake recipe. I mean, maybe they, maybe they really like cake. I think everyone likes cake. But if, if, you, if you offer them, you know, a recipe a day or something like that, maybe they'll take that. So you've converted someone that is a drive-by, you will may never see them again into... Right. Essentially, having an invitation to the inbox, um, so that's and that's that's essentially the right as a publisher to to send them advertising indefinitely until they decide they don't want anymore. Sure. Um, so it's it's a, it's exponentially more lucrative um, to get that email address and then be able to 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 send your content and your advertising to them on an ongoing basis. And also, although it's not something we have time to really dive into today, once you start collecting email addresses, you're starting to build some. The opportunities for some rich data around here. Yeah, well, with 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 email, you now have their identity. It's yeah. essentially their their address on the yeah. internet. Um, notably, I mean, you can't you can't sign up or log into Facebook without an email address, right? Email yeah. is not going anywhere. I mean, it'll be around. It's been around for forty plus years. It'll be around for I would say a hundred more. Um, so it's it's your internet address. You've now got an invitation to to, to send content to them, um, and. Their behavior now that you know their identity, their behavior can now be tracked. Um, I would, I mean, there's a lot of technology companies that are trying to do personalization around. Oh, they, they clicked on this, so they looked at that. Um, I, I think it, it doesn't need to be that technical. I mean, it's like if you have a home improvement newsletter and somebody signs up for it, they're interested in home improvement, right? We we at Post Up we often recommend that clients structure their programs to 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 maximize the number of subscriptions rather than the number of subscribers. So if you have 10 different content categories, yep. have 10 different newsletters, uh, and then you'll find that people subscribe to more than one. And what they're doing is they're raising their hand saying, I am interested in this. So if you have a, a home improvement newsletter, um, that's and you've got quarter million people on your home improvement net newsletter, that's something you can then sell. I don't mean literally sell yeah. the list, but I mean you can sell that audience to Home Depot or Lowe's. So yes. I mean, that, that is way more marketable than some artificial intelligence algorithm that, that figures out there's a 0.6 propensity to, to consume home improvement. You can't sell that to an advertiser, right. but you can sell the fact that you have a quarter million people interested in home improvement. Very simple. Okay. Getting into contrarian opinions again, but that's great, Keith. I'm you known for it. <laughs> You've given us lots to think about. I do appreciate you coming on the podcast today.
Thank you very much, Ken. And everyone, keep looking out for the next one-on-one podcast.